0: Alright, welcome to another episode of the Light Bulb Factory conversation centered on the church becoming the light of the world. This episode is a recording from our college worship gathering. If you are a college student in Waco, we'd love to have you join us any Sunday at 2 p.m. in the sanctuary of First Baptist Church Waco, where we learn about the way of Jesus together and discern what it looks like to live it out as a community. Hi, everybody. Um, Thank you guys for having me today on this rather hot Sunday. Uh, My name is Sarai, like Ryan mentioned. If you guys don't know me, I am actually here with you all every Sunday, but I serve as the worship pastor for the Spanish service. So perhaps walking into this room, I mean, definitely right away you notice the stained glass windows, uh, historic, rather large stained glass windows. Um, But you might even miss perhaps maybe the color of the seats. Or you run into your best friend and you say, wow, I noticed you got a new blue shirt. But you don't even notice that they're not wearing their glasses. It's sometimes convenient to see some things, and yet you completely may pass over other things. So if y'all will read with me Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out for you. And behold, the log is in your eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, as Ryan shared with me, you guys have been going through this section talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And all great teachings, really fundamental learning for Christians, I would say. And this small portion that Jesus is teaching here uh, is basically speaking to two different kinds of people. The first one is the crowd. At the beginning of chapter 5, we see that this crowd gathers around Jesus and they're, they're there to hear his teaching, right? Perhaps amongst the crowd you see the skeptic, right? The person who has heard about this Jesus and says, well, maybe yes, but maybe no. Let's just go check it out. You definitely probably have the sick person who is in dire need of healing and wants but just as taste of that restoration that Jesus brings. You definitely have the curious individual who has perhaps maybe even heard Jesus' name but doesn't even know what he's about. And like always, the religious elite who seem to follow Jesus everywhere, who were simply there to puff each other up and bring Jesus down. The other group that we see with Jesus in this moment are the disciples. Chapter 5 says that Jesus sat on a mountain and the disciples kind of sat around him as a as if they were having circle time. They're the intimate circle with Jesus, wanting to hear what his teachings are. Now, this teaching here and, and all of this portion really is this understanding of a radical teaching. I mean, to think about it. Take the log out of your own eye before you can take the speck out of your brother's eye. Who's even heard of that? What the heck does that even mean? It doesn't make much sense to a non-believer. But to the Christian, this needs to be a transformational foundational truth that needs to be a part of your everyday life. However, it's not that simple. It's not simply, all right, log out, check. It takes some power. It takes some power from God. You need to receive his grace and his Holy Spirit. And as believers, as children of God, we are blessed with that. We have been given that within ourselves. And we can put that into practice in this part specifically. There was once a preacher who had gone to the summer camp. Now, if you've ever been to summer camp, you know that you do all these wonderful, wonderful, super fun, tiring things all day long. And then you gather probably all sweaty in this tight room to hear the preacher speak every single night. So this preacher had gone to this camp and this older gentleman, perhaps a youth pastor, he comes up and asks the preacher or he he tells the preacher, preacher, I have been waiting to hear you speak what seems like my whole life. I just cannot wait to hear what the Lord has put on your heart and how it's going to convict me. Now the preacher walks away pretty, pretty happy about this. He says, wow, I didn't know people really wanted to hear me speak this much. All right, well, let's see how it goes tonight. The preacher comes up that night, and granted, it's the first night, right? Move in, getting to catch up with all your uh, summer friends. And he notices that the man is sitting to the right, kind of in the front row. He Starts his message. About five minutes in, he looks over, and the man is completely passed out. I mean, snoring as loud as anybody could, just not even into the sermon. Well, what it seemed like to the preacher. And he begins to kind of create this list in his head, and he says, well, it was the first day. He probably drove from Waco all the way to New Mexico. It's probably been a really long day moving in and it's just the first day, it's okay, he's really tired. So first night comes and goes, second night, third night, fourth night. As you can imagine, this man continues to sleep through the message. He continues to just snore his life away every single night. Now, by the fourth night, the preacher's pretty fed up with it. He said, okay, you told me you were excited and yet you continue to fall asleep I'm over it. You're not here for me. You're here for a good nap, and I'm not here for it. After the fifth night, the preacher gets down, sees the man sleeping once more, kind of begins to walk away saying, out of sight, out of mind. And then suddenly this man's wife approaches him, and she says, I just want to share with you that my husband has been looking forward to hear you speak for the longest time. He was diagnosed with cancer last year, and they recently changed his medication. And this medication makes him really drowsy. So it's sometimes hard for him to stay awake. But I promise you, he has now lived. Because he has gotten to hear you preach. He used to tell me, as long as I can hear him preach before I die, my life is complete. As you can imagine, the preacher walks away feeling pretty guilty, like the biggest jerk in the world for thinking those things. And he goes and he cries out to God and he says, Lord, forgive me. Why have I thought these things? Why did this cloud my judgment? God says to love and to examine your life first. Beginning in verse 1, we see this call to stop something from Jesus. He says, do not judge. Pretty straightforward thing. But usually when somebody says, do not blank, It's because somebody is currently doing it. So either there was current judgment in the crowd, there was judgment about to happen, or judgment had just occurred, which is probably all of the above. There was judgment amongst the people of God. There was judgment amongst the disciples. There was judgment amongst this crowd. And might I say, there's judgment still today. So Jesus is calling these people to action. He says, do not judge. Now, this judgment that Jesus is talking about is one where somebody emphasizes somebody's sin over another's. So pointing out what you have done wrong as opposed to what I have done wrong, that's the kind of judgment that these people were guilty of. That's the kind of judgment that was continuing amongst the crowd. However, that's not really the point. The point is not to simply not judge and never speak to anybody or call out anything about their sins. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Paul is calling the church. He's urging the people. He says, I know you see this immorality. Why are you just standing there with your eyes closed and your mouth shut? Address it. Say something about it. This isn't right and it cannot continue. He calls these people to action. So the point is not to simply never speak to anybody or call out anything. What matters here is the attitude And the motives behind your calling out somebody, behind your addressing the sin in somebody else. Check your attitudes and your motive before you say something to someone else. Continuing on to verse 2, it says, For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And the motives that you have, the standards of measures, that's how you will be measured. Now this is a call to remember how God, how Jesus has treated us. As sinners, as people who did not deserve his love, did not definitely didn't deserve his death. How did he treat us? How does he judge us? How does he address our sin? It's a call to remember to live as forgiven people. People who have received the grace and the Holy Spirit from God do not act as if you're Without sin, do not act as if you're some perfect individual who didn't need God, who didn't need his salvation. For how you judge, that is how. How you judge others, that is how you will be judged. So reflect on how God addresses you. Reflect on what he says to you about your sin. And with the same love and compassion and forgiveness, address others. Continuing on to verse 3 and 4, we see this almost comical image. There's this person walking around with the smallest of speck in their eyes. I mean, probably the size of an eyelash. And then there's the neighbor who has this giant hunk of log sticking out of their eyeball. Uh, Sounds kind of impossible, but that's kind of the point that Jesus is trying to make. He's trying to over-exaggerate in order to get the point across. So if you think of a speck, it's insignificant, something really minute, I mean, hardly even visible. And yet... It was visible. And you probably won't go blind from that. I mean, the chances of you going blind from having an eyelash in your eye are very, very small. But still be careful. And so there's a speck in this person's eye. However, when you think of having an entire branch in your eye, the chances are you're done for. You're never going to see out of that eye again. I mean, can you imagine that? And so there are kind of these these two points that I want to get from these two verses and the first one is that whether it's the log or whether it's the plank or whether it's the speck both are visible and so if you believe oh it's just a tiny sin it's just a little thing that I'm doing trust me it's there and it's visible and this person could obviously see it Now, I don't even have to say anything about the log. I don't think so. I mean, who would miss that? Probably knocking down half the church as you're walking by with this giant log sticking out of your eye. So both are visible. Both are there. And both need to be addressed. The second is that there's this sense of being uncomfortable. If you've ever had an eyelash in your eye or... Maybe even a torn contact. Uh, both are quite uncomfortable. The moment something enters your eye, there's this sense of rubbing your eye, trying to get everything out and helping somebody. Can you look into my eye? Can you pour some water? I know my grandmother used to tell me if you rub your eye with your hair, it will come out, whatever's in there. Don't know if it's true. I never tried it. But next time you have an eyelash in there, try that. And so when you have something in your eye, it's uncomfortable. Now the log, much more uncomfortable than a, than a tiny speck. But they're both being uncomfortable, and they both cause this sense of unease inside of you. So whether you make the excuse, make the justification that it's just a speck, I mean, how bad can it be? Both are visible, and both are uncomfortable, and both need to be addressed, as we're going to see in verse 5. God says to love, and examine your life first. You walking around with this plank in your eye, you walking around with this giant Amazon-sized branch sticking out of your eyeball, examine your life. As much as you like to think that you're perfect, as much as I like to think that I'm perfect, we are really not. And we hide it away, we think, oh, I'm a seminary student, certainly not me. I have no planks, no specks, and yet, I promise you, they're there. I promise you. It's in your eye. And it must be addressed. We learned in the first four verses that God says to love and examine your life first. Now ending with verse 5. God says to love and examine your neighbor's life. This last verse starts with a rather encouraging word. You hypocrite. Now, I can, I can picture all the disciples at this moment saying, yeah, that was for you. He's talking to you. I hope you know that. You hypocrite. Now, the image that comes to mind here is one of an actor, perhaps, at a, at a play, performing, wearing a mask, portraying something that's there when, in fact, it's something else. When you remove the mask, you see the truth. But while I keep the mask on, I can fool you all. You Hypocrite, remove the log out of your own eye first, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In this last verse, we see this call to action, right? In verses one through four, it starts with, do not judge, and then it shows how you've been judging. And now here it says, you hypocrite, remove the log and address your neighbor. It doesn't say, When you feel like it, if it's not going to offend them, when the mood is right, when you've had a really great lunch, then address your neighbor. It says, remove it and address. And that is where our hope lies. As believers, as FBC College Ministry, we are called to remove our logs and address the speck. It's never simply for us to be comfortable at one point to say, ah. The log is out. I am free of that. But it's for the other. We do this. We examine our lives. We make sure that the sin has been addressed within. And then in love, in gentleness, we address the other. Now, if you guys can picture with me, I can see myself, log out, and then saying, you got something there, you're welcome. Right? It's so easy to say, there's a speck in there, my log's out, let me help you out. But the truth is that that's not how God calls us to address the other. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Even here, there's a call to take out that log. But it says, you who are spiritual... In the spirit of gentleness, address the other. In the spirit of love and compassion and restoration, really. It's not simply to knock your brother down and say, you a speck fool, I'm great. I'm going to go and continue on in my life. It's always to uplift the other. It's always to bring them back into community, into communion with God. And not allow them to leave with a speck in their eye, but address it in the moment. In gentleness. What a calling to address someone in gentleness. I mean, rather foreign concept today, I'd say. We're, uh, I don't know, perhaps rather abrupt. We want to be real. We want to be genuine and just say the truth. But we're called to gentleness. We're called to address the other with the same love that God addressed us. So there is hope, friends. There is hope in this call of restoration. As brothers and sisters, as college students of Baylor campus, as FBC college students, there is hope for us. One another, we must address the speck and the logs that are in our eyes. As we end this time together, I want to encourage you all. As you enter into your college campuses, as you go to your classes, whether on Zoom, or maybe in person, or some form of hybrid, Address the log that is in your eye. And this is a daily kind of thing. It isn't a weekly checklist that, all right, came to church Sunday. That means my log is out and I'm great to go now. This is an every single day examining yourself. Examine what is within, the sin that is within your lives. Now, I'm sure you are all aware of the craziness, the hecticness, the sadness, and brokenness within our world. And much of it is because we have Christians and non-Christians walking around with the biggest log in our eyes. Believing that we are righteous individuals as Christians who can simply point out everything in everybody else. And while we're knocking down left and right with the log that's in our eye. That needs to be addressed. And until it is addressed within, until we are able to acknowledge that we are broken and sinful individuals who are also capable of being mean to somebody else, who are also capable of hating another person. We have the sin within our lives, but the moment that it is addressed, in love, in gentleness, seek your neighbor. Seek your fellow classmates. Seek your teachers. Seek your leaders. Seek your pastors. Seek those around you and address the speck that is in their eye. God says to love, and examine your neighbor's life. The call in Matthew 7 verses 1 through 5 is simple. Well, let me rephrase that. Not simple. But it's clear. Now, Jesus isn't saying this is going to be a comfortable or super enjoyable process. Probably isn't. Which may be why he used the metaphor of a log in your eye. It's something that's going to hurt. It's going to take time both to remove it and then to heal from it. But it's necessary. God says to love and examine your life first and then examine your neighbor's life.